Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, central London Saturday night of lovely comedy and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC James Ross and this is Quantum Leopard. This episode, we have wonderful Jen Ives. Uh, this set was recorded on the 17th of July, 2021 by Sam Nicaresti at 21 Soho, and the interview took place on the 14th of July, 2022. Uh, quick content warnings here for experience of transphobia and a passing reference to Nazis. Uh, hope you enjoy. I'm sociable. I know what I'm doing. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? That's weird, isn't it, when you bump arms, elbows with somebody? You've been doing that. You've been used to that. It's nice, isn't it? It's the dirtiest part of me, that is. <laughs> you don't know what I do in my elbows, sir. My name's Jen. Uh, I'm a trans woman. Do we know what that means? You nodded like, yeah. I know. I've seen Meatspin.com. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what it means, it's really simple, okay? All it means is that I'm just like any other trans... That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Fuck that up, didn't I? What it means is that I'm just like any other woman in this room, right? Except I can't feel empathy. Also, I have to pretend to like astrology. Which is... <laughs> That is so Gemini though, right? That is such a a Gemini thing. I fell asleep. I'm really tired. I'm really tired today. I'm sorry. I fell asleep last night. I I was... Do you ever do that thing where you're like watching YouTube videos late at night at like 3am and you fall asleep and you wake up at like 6am and you're like, oh, well, I fell asleep and I woke up at 6am and I realized that I've been sleeping through a playlist of evangelical psalms. So I'm a Christian now. <laughs> it's a bit of subliminal shit for you. It's nice to be back, isn't it? It's nice to be indoors. Love being indoors. Lockdown's been really difficult. It's been difficult for everybody, right? And I acknowledge that. It's been really hard. I think one of the things that people aren't talking about enough, though, is how difficult lockdown has been specifically for trans women, okay? That's not funny. It's true. Because consider this, right, we've been locked down for what, like a year? And in that entire time, I've had absolutely zero women's only spaces to invade. (laughs) Do you know how hard that's been for me? Like, I was overwhelmed when I got here today. Like, I went downstairs, I went to the toilets, and I pissed everywhere. (laughs) That was me. (laughs) Pretty exciting. Anyone in a relationship? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. Who, who said woo? Sorry, am, am I allowed to speak to you? I'm not sure. You got the stickers. Did, did you meet during lockdown? No. No, okay, that's good. That's not illegal. You're, you're off the hook. 
I started seeing this guy called Matthew. Yeah, I'll say his name. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't live by your rules. I started seeing this guy called Matthew. He's really nice. But we started dating during lockdown, right? And he was really funny about it. And I remember our first date. Basically, when you start dating during lockdown, there's like a whole different etiquette that you have to follow, right? It's like you have to be really careful with each other. You have to make sure that you're both sort of like comfortable with every step because of lockdown. And I was, I was dating Matthew. I was, on his, I was on our first date and I was like, Matthew, do you mind if I, uh, if I touch your leg? And he was like, no, Jan, that's fine. I was like, cool, cool. I was like, Matthew... Do you mind if I give you a little stroke, like on your cheek? And he was like, that's fine. I was like, cool, cool, cool. I was like, Matthew, would you mind if I gave you a little kiss on your, on your lips? And he was like, actually, Jen, because of the lockdown, because of, of COVID risk, he was like, can we not? So I was like, fine. Just stick it in my ass then. <laughs> and he did, because there's nowhere else for it. <laughs> I've got a real crush on my bus driver, <laughs> actually. Is that, is that weird? Is that weird to have a crush on your bus driver? He drives the number 43, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You've got no fucking idea what I'm talking about. Look, look, look. It's, it's, it's not the way he looks, right? It's the way he drives. Do you know what I mean? Like the way that he plows through low-hanging branches with reckless abandon. <laughs> it makes me want to come. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a bit of a cum humor there. Do you guys know about JK Rowling? Have you heard of her? What was that noise? You're not a fan? You don't, what, you don't like any of her books? Oh, are they? Are they? <laughs> What's your favourite J.K. Rowling book? I don't think I have one. Not favourite. No. What's your favourite Harry Potter book? No. <laughs> hey, I don't have a green sticker on. You're not allowed to answer back to me. <laughs> I don't want to... I didn't consent to talk. Did you see that uh, essay that she wrote recently about how she's, she's sort of not jazzed about... That's putting it lightly, isn't it? She's not jazzed about trans women. People call it an essay. I'd say it's like less of an essay and it's more like the deranged scribblings of a fucking Tumblr user, right? But she, but she wrote one and, and basically she said in it that she doesn't think, and this is me sort of like generalising, but this is what she said. She said she doesn't think that trans women should be allowed to use the women's toilets, right? And to that, all I have to say is, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> right? You don't know what I like. I could be more trouble than I'm worth in the men's. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Love the smell of a urinal cake. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Only trans women know what that's like. <laughs> a lot of my uh, trans friends, they were like... Super up in arms when her new book came out. Right? She had a new book come out. It was called Troubled Blood. And it was like, they were like, oh, apparently there's a killer in it and the killer is trans. It's really offensive. And I was really put out because I really wanted to like post about it. I really wanted to criticize her new book. The problem is though, that new book, it's a thousand pages long. And I was like, I'm not reading that fucking book. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, she could have an admission of being in the KKK on page three. Like, we're not getting there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Thing is, right, my mate Jade, oh, I told her I wasn't going to name her, uh, <laughs> but I have been. She loves J.K. Rowling, right? She's like a huge J.K. Rowling stan. Uh, well, she used to be. I mean, I, it's more fair to say she's a huge Harry Potter fan, right? And since the whole J.K. Rowling thing came out, she feels really bad about that. And the thing about her is she's got, like, more than three Harry Potter tattoos, right? <laughs> like, that's too many, isn't it? She's got, like, more than three. And she feels really guilty, like, because I live with her, right? And I can tell that she feels awkward. So every now and then I'll, like, fuck with her. I'll be like, oh, Jade, I really love that tattoo on your leg of the Quidditch broom. And she's like, oh, no, 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 I just really love sweeping. <laughs> big fan of flat hygiene, big fan of it. I'm like, oh, Jade, what's that on your shoulder there? Is that, is that, is that the symbol for Deathly Hallows? She's like, no, 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 Aryan Brotherhood. <laughs> I'm glad you went for that one, I tell you. Been stalking my ex lately on Instagram. Do you ever do that? Do you stalk your ex? I'm over it. Like, I'm over it. Like, we, we broke up like 10 years ago. I'm over it. But I have. I've been stalking my ex on Instagram. Not in like a creepy way, you know. Just more in a kind of like, oh, I'm your guardian angel kind of way. <laughs> Watching over you to make sure you're not doing anything wrong. One of the things I noticed recently is that my ex and their new partner, they recently got a hamster. Like a lockdown hamster. Did anyone get a lockdown hamster? It's the perfect pet for a lockdown, do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's cute, you know, it's low maintenance, two years and you're out, hopefully, right? <laughs> but one of the weird things that they did, right, is that they dedicated the entire Instagram account to this hamster, right? So now it's like, it's the hamster's Instagram account. And its name's Wilbur, and it's very happy, it's got tubes and, and they feed it every day and I know its life isn't as good as it seems online right? like I know there's got I know there's got to be something else going on under the surface now I don't know what your guys's low point of lockdown was but I bet good money that you've never dm'd a hamster you don't know <laughs> to call it a fat-cheeked cunt So I quit my job recently, which was, which was quite nice, quite exciting. But I do, I do miss certain things about my, my old job. It was like an office job, right? Anyone got an office job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love it. Right, the thing is, right, my office job, it was a nice job, but the weird thing is, is it's the first job I've ever had where when I had the interview and I met the manager and I met the staff, like nobody asked me if I was trans. Like it just didn't come up. Right? Like, nobody mentioned it. And I don't know if that's because I pass better now, or if it's because they're all just, like, trying to be, you know, really politically correct. But I remember thinking, what I do know is, if this goes on much longer, I am going to have to take some maternity leave.
just push their HR department to the fucking limit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you guys have been really nice. I hope you have a nice rest of your evening. Bye-bye. And that was Jen Ives. Uh, that gig was recorded on the uh, 17th of July, uh, 2021. Uh, that one was at uh, 21 Soho, I think. Um, and it was our like um, second gig uh, back after another bit of a hiatus because of a COVID spike. Um, and uh, so we were dealing with uh, a new venue um, and a slightly depleted audience uh, with high ceilings and like people all spread out with like cabaret seating without it actually being cabaret seating, um, which is, I think, a struggle for uh, any comedian um so um jen um how are you feeling going into this gig like how do you find the audience hello um yeah it got it was so long ago wasn't it i think i it feels like another lifetime ago that that gig um like you said it was right off the back of covid and i had never i mean i'd gigged there before but i hadn't done a quantum leopard gig there before um I was excited, to be honest with you. I was looking forward to it. I always enjoy 21 Soho and I always enjoy Quantum Leopard. So a uh, good mix for me. I was just, honestly, I was just glad to, to be back at it, you know? Like I was having sort of like withdrawal symptoms, I think. You know, I really needed it, needed to come back. So yeah, it was, I was fine with it. Um, I, I really like your line about, um, you know, being a trans woman is like, um, like, uh being like uh, any other woman except not being able to feel empathy which is so mm-hmm. I, i've seen you do quite a few sets um over the years i know that's an opener that you use um quite a lot um and like to me that's um a line that kind of plays on um you know sort of the general kind of like transphobic um tropes in a really sort of self-deprecating way as a way of kind of like bringing yourself close to the audience like is that is that something that you do intentionally or is that like um how did that idea develop so that is actually a really, really old joke. It's like one of my oldest sort of jokes, to be honest with you. And, I, you know, I don't like admitting that because I I don't do any of the jokes that I used to do from when I first started. That's the only one that's actually stayed around. And the only reason it has is because, yeah, like it serves a utility, I think. I think I think it does do that. I think it seems... It's, it's like the only joke that I have that I would say is reliable, like if if an audience doesn't laugh at that i can i'm pretty much like okay it's you not me um <laughs> but 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 to answer your question like in terms of self-deprecation it's funny because i never really view that one as self-deprecation okay i suppose i suppose just because it's so stupid and i think like what it's what i'm trying to get at is that like like you said like it's about assumptions right it's about mm-hmm. their assumptions i think it's obvious like if to an audience like they only have to wait a couple more jokes to see that i do have empathy clearly it's just it's literally just like a very basic trope on like oh uh, you know what do people say about men what do people say about women um it i, I would say that it, it might have more of a self-deprecating effect when it was in my oldest of sets because i definitely started stand up with a much more self-deprecating thing 
that I've sort of tried to get away from as much as I can. I, I know exactly what you're saying about like um, the sort of uh, having like that sort of tuning fork joke of like, if you don't like this, then, uh, you know, we, A, we're not going to get on and B, I don't have to blame myself for it. You know what I mean? Like if you're starting yeah. off with something like that, it's yeah. like a very obvious, like, here is my gold. Do you like gold? You don't like gold. Well, fuck off then. I think that's... Not everyone likes gold. And not everyone yeah, likes gold. Yeah, that's the thing, right? People <laughs> like silver sometimes. I think I prefer silver, to be honest. But... I, um, uh, me too, me too. I think it's, yeah. it's very easy for gold to look tacky, which is why I don't bring it out all the time. So, uh, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a you problem, the audience. Um, yeah, just, I, wear, I mainly wear plastic to be honest <laughs> with you. So I'm like big, big into costume jewellery. It, I mean, plastic will be around for a lot longer. Like it will significantly outlive human civilization. So there's, there's always that. Yeah, why do people always talk about that like it's a bad thing? <laughs> like... It's good value for money, right? <laughs> there we are, Gen Ives in favour of microplastics. You heard it here yeah. I think what I'm doing at the moment is kind of hard because it's not exactly what I was doing when we were doing this particular night. Yeah. Um, but what I'm doing at the moment certainly is that like, I'm kind of trying to play with the idea of like what people's expectations are of trans women and the way they're being villainised. I'm kind of playing into like being that that thing that they fear i guess so i'm like playing into those stereotypes at the moment for the yeah. show that i'm working on um so that's kind of what i've been trying to do um generally like my my whole thing is just like you know is this material working and then uh if it's not i drop it that's about as calculated <laughs> as, as it gets for me to be honest yeah i mean that's obviously a pretty standard editing technique right like you throw stuff at the wall you keep what sticks yeah all of this yeah i mean like yeah. that brings you neatly onto the next point about like um so you're lying about like having zero women's spaces to invade um and like mm. you playing into the 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 caricatured uh boogie woman um that you know <laughs> transphobes have um I, yeah I, yeah i mean like I, again i feel like that's a that's a recurrent motif that's a recurrent motif within this set and a recurrent motif in other stuff that i've seen you do and it sounds like that's now a thing that you're developing a lot more so it sounds like that's something that you've not always done quite so much but you're now leaning into more with the sort of the you know this kind of like villainess aspect um are you you're building yeah. towards a show with that at the moment or is that uh i, I realize this is probably going to go out after this sh that show goes out yeah no i i've been doing it for a while i've been working on previews and stuff i'm I'm taking that show to edinburgh um it's an hour uh it's called peak trans and um i'm doing that with objectively funny and yeah like that's what the show is about so like recently what i've been doing a lot is contrary to what i literally just said which is that like if a piece <laughs> of material is am i going to drop it I've, I've been taking a slightly different approach which is like because this is a show I've been like mercilessly dropping material that doesn't have have relevance to the show. If it doesn't have relevance to what I'm talking about in the show, like it goes. So I'm kind of like sacrificing all those like quote unquote gold bits for like um, something that's thematically coherent, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but the show, yeah, the show is basically exactly that. What I just said about being the villain and like leaning into those stereotypes, like it's pretty, but it's very stupid. Like that's, but that's, point of it is like sh a stupid show um which is what i like you know yeah. so if it's stupid it, it stays but i mean like i mean the, the transphobic caricature of the trans woman like is 
colossally stupid. I mean, that is like, it's it's an evil clown figure, right? Like, almost yeah. to the extent of being like, it is like it, like hiding down the drain with clown makeup. Like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, a bit of a gear shift. So um, some of the other bits of your set. So like the Matthew story. So um, I want to know, uh, firstly, like, I mean, firstly, is that is that a true story? And if it isn't, like, how much have you moulded the truth to make that story? It is. Um, well... It's kind of true, you know, it's it it's based on that universal feeling that I think a lot of people had, which is that like, you know, we weren't allowed to date for a really long time, <laughs> which is a strange thing to say. It's like, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the pandemic. I know everyone's kind of like sick of it. But at the point when we did that show, uh, we were just coming out of a pandemic. And I think people felt like they couldn't not address it or talk about it. Yeah. And that was like one of a series of different bits that I had that were basically just about the pandemic because that's all we had lived and you know I didn't do any dating um like when we weren't allowed to but as soon as as soon as we were allowed to I was like just went straight into into dating like I I like really like jumped in like and because I was horny like everybody was and it was definitely something that I noticed like like people were like strangely uncomfortable like they wanted to date but they wanted to do it in a way that wasn't really like it wasn't really dating and there was there was like I did have a couple of experiences with people who were uncomfortable with certain levels of affection um not not just because of like you know the usual reasons (laughs) but like because of covid and um it was just yeah a really kind of funny and strange thing to navigate um but in terms of like the literal story, like of course, like no, it was. <laughs> um, J.K. Fucking Rowling. Um, I'm doing bunny ears there. People on the tape won't be able to hear that, but I'm just putting, <laughs> putting the, the middle name that I've included there. I, I, I like I. I'll be honest. I, I got into the ground floor of disliking J.K. Rowling because I was never that interested in the books. I always thought they were uninteresting, and I was like, I'm now absolutely delighted that I've got an excuse not to read them to my child. I'm like, great, we'll get started into catch it early, much better. Um, anyway, so, sure. uh, so I, 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 like I've seen you like like I said a number of times over the years. I felt this is a bit that's um, uh, kind of you know developed, um, partly because like she just keeps saying like madder shit over and over again. Um, and I, I wondered, like, is is she a topic that you feel like compelled to address as part of a set about trans issues because of her public profile? Like, it, because of her public profile, is is this something that you feel drawn to that you feel that you can't escape? And it's now in some ways like an intrinsic part of the trans experience is dealing with J.K. fucking Rowling. Is that, or, or is well, it something you would bring up independently? No, I mean that's a good question because you know I am also like you in that like I never was like a huge fan of Harry Potter and as a trans person it's like it's a frustrating thing to say because I think no one but probably believes you they probably go like oh yeah you just hate her because she doesn't like you but the truth <laughs> but the truth the truth is like I was about as into Harry Potter as generally people my age were like I read the first couple of books I liked them they got too long I kind of went off them a bit. The first couple of films were entertaining, but then they got too serious and long. And it's just like, that's why, you know, I didn't really have any strong feelings about it. But when it comes to JK Rowling, like, yeah, like what she's doing is awful. And I, I feel like she's a person who's like ridiculously lost in the woods, you know, like not, not, not to try and extend empathy, like, cause I don't actually feel any empathy. Cause I think she's like 
doing bad things and she's like being a bad person bigoted but... billionaires do not require our empathy there are far better <laughs> yeah, yeah. places to put that empathy but what is beneficial with her from my selfish perspective is that she is a way to communicate and talk about gender critical ideas and the culture of it and mm. how it affects trans people on a much broad like so for example like trying to talk about more obscure figures in the gender critical movement who are bigger voice or were bigger voices or, or were like more grassroots people or like pe- people that trans people are probably more aware of yeah it's hard it's a hard issue to talk about because it's it sometimes feels like quite a insular thing you know like trans people are like trying to say like oh this right is being stripped away this is a problem this and that but people just don't know and like people um Like, I was trying, like, I was uh, pitching, like, a thing that I made about the LGB Alliance where I went to the conference and stuff. And um, you'd be surprised how many people, when I was trying to pitch it, were just like, what's the LGB Alliance? And I was like, how can you not know what the LGB Alliance is? But it's because I'm so, like, ingrained in it. It's crazy to me how JK Rowling and her work has been, like, held up in this high esteem. and, And the fact that she's got theme parks and movies and spin-off movies and god no like just websites just everything like she is such a figure of power like she has so much money and so much influence and so many celebrity friends and her her hands in so many pockets and yet people still perceive her as a victim it's like i don't see it so if if i was a billionaire and i could have any hobby i wanted i would not pick transphobia that wouldn't even make the list of top 10 options right like i would i would mm. make sure there was a model railway in every room of my house so that i could <laughs> take little messages around the place like you know yeah. thing like you know uh, being on the cutting edge of you know culturally relevant bigotry would not make the cut so it just it's no. it just seems like a yeah it's a, a, a bizarre digression um everyone needs a hobby though you know like, that is so... true but like model trains model trains are right there and they're great like who doesn't love a train so uh, the bit about your flatmates tattoos so uh, is this another bit there it kind of pulls from different sources did you actually have a flatmate with uh, with these tattoos is it a true story yeah like obviously I, I i do have like yes that is a story it's something that i have been also trying to expand upon in terms of that because i think it's like an interesting conversation I, I think what that bit is more more about is about the sort of that cavern in between what sort of like trans how trans people view culture and society and how cis people do it's like you know we have to put up with like a lot of our heroes i mean she wasn't one of my heroes but we do have to put up with a lot of that like kind of trying to reconcile um the dislike they seem to have for us and then still enjoy their stuff and and this was a this was a real story my flatmate um she does have multiple Harry Potter tattoos on her body. Um, there was no scenario in which she actually tries to pass them off as, uh, you know, Aryan Brotherhood symbols or anything like that, like in my bit. But they're definitely... I obviously wrote it because there's some some kind of, like, feeling that I picked up on with it, you know, that, like... It is hard for a lot of cis people to, <laughs> who want to be allies and, and want to be supportive and, but still enjoy this stuff. You know, like my sister is, an, is another one. She, my sister's like one of the most supportive people ever, but she still wants me to take her to 
the Harry Potter uh, Warner Brothers tour thing. Mm. And I don't really know how to explain to her that like I just don't I don't want to go to that you know like yeah, because yeah. it's just it's just that it's that is awkward it's like an awkward thing like when I walk around London like I'm not a, a snowflake I I can handle it but it is a bit jarring sometimes when you know that there's someone who seems to hate your guts and is like actively campaigning a lot of the time to try and like help take your rights away and yet every shop window (laughs) there's like a wand shop and there's like a there's like a a big play that's running all the time like uh the cursed child and fantastic beasts movies coming out and harry potter books in the window of uh foils it's like it can be a bit jarring it can be a bit difficult to kind of navigate the world in that way and 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 i don't know it's like a reflection of society isn't it it's like society is saying this is what we like this is this is a part of our culture and then trans people are like well not for not for us so it makes you feel separate from society it's just another way of sort of doing that and we, we already do so it's like we're used to it but yeah she does exist and she does have harry potter tattoos and um i hope one day she has enough money to get rid of them <laughs> <laughs> i think she would i feel like she would yeah just make direct eye contact with her for long enough and eventually she'll <laughs> back down like you know after yeah. three or four weeks that'll do it just keep staring at her but 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 what's funny about that is that like i so i feel a lot i do genuinely feel empathy for that because mm-hmm. because who would ever have thought that like a a children's author who in the 90s and early 2000s was praised as being like this great voice for children champion of children you know seeing all of this sort of stuff yeah yeah exactly you would think that would be a safe bet i just think it's interesting that like things can change they can go south like really quickly you know it's not like getting a woody allen tattoo like everybody knew about woody (laughs) allen like from the 90s but like well even before that it's different yeah (laughs) it's very unfortunate i think yeah i mean i mean it clearly forms such like it's such a formative part of so many people's childhood and then yeah it's it's a clear sign of moral maturity that you would you know have the decency to be ashamed of that the whole separating the art from the artist thing is something that i like everybody has struggled with but to me like it really is a case-by-case basis and it really depends it's it depends on how much authorship there is in something. And I think like something like Harry Potter, like I think there is actually a lot of authorship in it. I, I think as, well, books in particular are a difficult thing. So a weird thing happened with me. Like when I was like a teenager, I watched all of the sort of like main Woody Allen films. And before I knew anything about him, I was like, oh, like this is very witty and like funny and like very creative, like as a director, blah, blah, blah. But then when I found out about Woody Allen, I couldn't watch those movies without thinking about it like yeah. i just can't it's yeah. it's like it's too it's too baked into the films and who he is like it's it's just a product of that and now i've kind of i don't know if it's to do with the accusations or or whatever but i literally can't enjoy them like i don't find them funny anymore yeah. like yeah. i don't find him funny i find him like gross yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I had a very similar experience uh, with like the work of Louis C.K., which is like if you watch it without knowing that like about um, the I, I don't know for legal reasons how confirmed the allegations are, but like we all know what the allegations are. Um, but because there's so much of him in his work, right, like he is the author that is doing this thing and he is exposing his 
vulnerabilities and his personality through his solo work and through his series like it knowing what you then know about him colors how you view the work retrospectively and means that you can't enjoy it like i cannot watch it and enjoy it now because it's viewed very very differently um because you know that he's a different person so seeing that glimpse of the person through the art like that experience is fundamentally changed by your knowledge of who that person is and it's funny that people want to like jump on that and say like oh you're cancelling somebody or this is a cancellation it's not it's it's the same thing as like say you're like on a date with somebody and uh it's going really really well and then they suddenly out of nowhere say oh by the way like i'm not very fond of black people (laughs) it would be it would be like it's kind of like you you're not going to be able to like carry on with that date yeah yeah, it's fundamentally like changed say- <laughs> your view of who that person is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're not yeah. saying you're not saying to them you can't go on any more dates, but you are saying to them you, we're not we're not going to go on any more dates. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as if your your approval is something that uh, you know an art or, or a piece of art or an artist has an automatic entitlement to. It's like no, you're, you're allowed to change. Yeah. Your mind about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's weird, isn't that it? You, you're also allowed to like stop enjoying a date with somebody who just weirdly latches on to the fact that you're a quarter Jewish and doesn't seem able to let that go for some reason. <laughs> and it's like it's a quarter. Like anyway, uh, did that happen to you? Though that did happen to me. That did happen to me. Many yeah, that sounded very personal. It what was you were very saying. personal. That's why I brought it up because I like to yeah. like, put a bit of myself into my interviews, Jen. Uh, so yeah, yeah. many crimes are discovered further down the road. People can reflect on them differently. That's, oh, lovely. Uh, that's <laughs> Don't joke about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 People I, always tell you who they are. You that's know that. true, yeah. Branching off from that. So um, do you make a deliberate attempt to play on cis guilt as a way of building a rapport with an audience? Is that is that a technique that you deliberately deploy or is that something that just... Yeah. Yeah. A bit, a bit, yeah. It, well, it's it's something that you can't really escape. It's like, yeah. it's something that's there. It's something that you feel on a day-to-day basis. You know, most people are nice. Most people care about trans people, it seems, on my day-to-day basis. And most people don't like what's happening. Um, there is there is an element of cis guilt there. And there probably should be, you know. Um, there's more to be done. And like, yeah, like I do play on it a bit. But it's not. But I, I try not to be preachy or anything. I kind of I like I like the the discomfort that can come with it sometimes, you know. And and that's only because I like feeling that myself, you know. Like I enjoy seeing shows where I do feel challenged a little bit. Like I've I've had it, you know. Everybody everybody has a, has a element of privilege over somebody else, you know. And. Um, yeah, I, I only I only I only give it because I can take it. You know, it's like if if people can't take it, then they're in the wrong show. So um, the bit about stalking your ex. So this is a really nice. Uh, I feel like a confessional bit. Now, to me, this rings quite true. This feels like this is something that mostly happened. Certainly the actual stalking bit. And I suspect if I <laughs> guess, I would also lay money that the hamster definitely has social media accounts. Uh, oh yeah that's yeah, yeah true yeah, true okay. true well like, i should probably just say i didn't i haven't uh, let's just say i didn't actually like physically stalk them it's yeah. just it's more that universal thing that i think a lot of people do now with um social media which is that like you know because it opens up it gives you an insight into what people are doing like back in the olden days you know if you broke up with somebody who'd been in a, in a long-term relationship with you were allowed to have some distance from them and let each other live their lives. But unfortunately, 
the way that we live now, you get to see what everybody's doing all the time, unless you make like a conscious effort to get away from that, which I eventually did do. Um, I left Facebook quite a long time ago and with Instagram, which was what this particular one was with, I just made the decision to like, you know, block those accounts or, or at least like not see them anymore. Um, but yeah, like I was in a very long term relationship with somebody like we were, we were in, a, in a relationship for about seven or eight years and um, it was hard. It was it was hard to sort of like let go. And um, yeah, I would, I would check in quite regularly on um, social networks to kind of like just see what they were up to. And it's a, it's a comforting thing as well. Sometimes, you know, you sometimes want to see if they're actually happy and it's not not always a negative thing. Like sometimes it's like, yeah, you actually like to see that they're um, moved on and like living a nice life and I've been through a lot since then I've been in relationships since then so it's like it's you know I'm playing out for laughs and I'm talking about a different time in my life really but yeah it's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> I didn't realize it was that longer relationship I mean like the um mm, you, you yeah yeah, with yeah. With a, a lightness and a sort of faux pettiness that implies that you're not that bothered about it and that it's uh somewhat emotionally unserious like you're doing the again the sort of the classic Gen Ives thing of being a bit of a prick about it in order to be yeah it's comedy baby yeah it's comedy this is i mean seven or eight years is like that's that's like that's a that's a long time right yeah it's the longest relationship i've I've ever been in and and it's i I feel like the way that i reacted to the end of the relationship was more like the passive one so like i you know i was like i didn't want the relationship to end Mm. um but i didn't have a choice and you know it's a very like like all relationships very complicated like set of scenario like set of circumstances as to why it ended but i feel like that bit was if anything just my way of sort of like trying to <laughs> have a little bit more of a thing to say like a little bit a little bit more anger but but through the hamster you know like that yeah. that was the point of it it was like it was because i'm you know, even though we don't really talk anymore, we weren't on bad terms. You know, we we tried to be friends for a bit. I think comedians do it in different ways, don't they? It's like you have like a painful thing in your life and you kind of think, well, is there any way that I can, you know, use this? Uh, <laughs> and that's that's as far as I've managed to use it. I, I, I never used to like talking about it. I used to find whenever I used to talk about it, it would... Um, it would verge on either too sad or sometimes bitter because that's yeah. how I felt about it for a while. And... Yeah, that was a that was kind of how I decided to kind of like draw a line under it, I think. But I don't actually do that bit anymore as well. And right. um I genuinely do wish my ex all the best. Um and yeah, <laughs> I just feel like I should say that. Like it, it's very it is because because it is because it is played up. It it really is. Like um like you said there there is an element of me like trying to be this villain um and i feel like i've gotten a much better handle over that persona now but probably when i wrote that bit i probably didn't i probably i probably like think i try and make things a little bit more joined up now back then it it was all over the place just a mess of emotions and like yeah also just thought it was funny like with the hamster you know hamsters are they're just intrinsically funny animals and that whole thing about my ex turning their Instagram account into their new hamster's Instagram account, that is true. That is true. Like, again, that's where it comes from. It's like, it is a bizarre feeling. Like, because when you are trying to 
stalker somebody quote unquote or at least keep up to date with what they're doing and then you have to kind of like <laughs> decipher it through the gaze of a hamster's apparent life like what it's does just this hamster's biz- life mean yeah <laughs> yeah it's just really fucking bizarre and it's like not to get too deep in it or anything but you you, you start to feel like god like am i going insane like this is like a strange thing to be doing like like who yeah man like who's the real person trapped in a cage like is it is it the hamster man or is it me you know he's really going around in a wheel baby i mean that says a lot about society jen and i i I thank you for social culture it's very important Uh, yeah cool so uh the bit about your um change of job so i i just wanted to note this bit i really like that you slip this bit in because i think it's important to make audiences aware that most comedians have day jobs. Uh, they have some sort yeah. of side gig um, just because of like, this is how the economics of comedy works. Um, so like, how do you, how, how do you, how do you have it all? How do you balance uh, the, the day job and comedy? Well, when I read this question, I thought, yeah, this would have been a great question to answer at the time when I, when I did have another job, <laughs> but I, I don't anymore at the moment. Um, I am I am doing comedy full time now, which I'm very nice. lucky yeah, to yeah. say and like very happy about. Um, I still, but that being said, I, I do still have little ways of getting a little bit of extra money. So I guess like, like, like Patreon and things like that, which is, that's not a job, but it's all a part of it. You know, it's like, I don't know what you'd call that. Like a, like a side a hustle. It's an alternative income. Yeah. Stream, right? Yeah. I, I suppose the point I'm making there is that you, it, it's no longer really possible as a viable career path for a significant proportion of comedians to just do circuit gigs, live work. And oh gig, yeah. Right. That, that's more the point I'm making. Like, oh, a hundred percent. So, so like, so when I started doing stand up, uh, I was working full time as a learning disabilities support worker i did that for five years um not not i was that was it's like the longest job i've had like one job um so in my head it's like my main occupation in my life although i've done other things like supermarkets and various retail spec savers and things like that but um that was honestly like the probably one of the most difficult jobs to juggle stand up with other than like maybe being like a nurse or a doctor obviously you yeah. as a as a support worker you always have to say, you 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 have to say it otherwise you you people think like people think you're a piece of shit if you don't say like <laughs> oh no obviously like doctors and nurses out but but it but it's still a hard it's a very hard job like the, the hours are super unsociable i was doing double shifts a lot because you know they don't pay their workers enough and people phone in sick and they don't have a good turnover of staff and it has an it's a job that has an economy of guilt as well yeah which yeah. is that like so if if you know if if the night staff don't come in you know there's pressure put on you to be like well who else are we get you know what else are we gonna do that's a different story to get into but but the, the point what that i'm trying to make is just that like i know what it's like to work full time and also try to pursue comedy uh it's hard it's, it's really really difficult and i would have to make a lot of sacrifices in regards to i would have to cancel a lot of gigs um i would have to go to gigs immediately after my job or you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't be sleeping very much so i do feel for anybody out there who's still doing that um but i guess like it's not impossible it's it's definitely not an impossible thing to do um it might be for some people like but i was lucky in the sense that um 
I got some good opportunities, I guess, early on in stand-up. But that being said, I did feel like I had to leave that job. Uh, like, I didn't leave that job... I didn't, like, get signed and then I could, like, leave that job. I, I had other jobs after that, too. I, I just had to leave that job because I couldn't personally maintain stand-up and that. I had to go into something more... Um, nine to five I think if you've got a nine to five that's probably the best bet like it's the hours that are hard I know some stand-up comedians who are like doctors I'm sure you do too they're like a couple that are like doctors I don't understand how you do that but even now yeah but like you were saying like even now it depends on what kind of comedian you are like I unfortunately (laughs) I'm not the sort of stand-up comedian that I'm not in high demand for like certain club circuits yeah yeah you know sort of like macho club circuit stuff even though i think i can do them (laughs) but i'm not i'm not in high demand for them um so yeah i have a lot a lot of other things that i do in comedy like i write um i write for tv sometimes and i I write my own stuff and blah 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 um yeah I i feel like these days you do have to have like you have to treat it like more holistically you have to have like a bunch of things that you like doing and you have to pursue them more and uh you know sometimes i like sell artwork online if people want it and like all that kind of stuff you just have to you have to have a couple of passions i think you know just to just to make ends meet sometimes yeah yeah and sign on if you have to (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely uh cool so um uh funny if there's uh, one thing that you could say to yourself at the age of 18 now that you've accumulated this lifetime of wisdom what would it be well this is the problem it's like the main things that i would say to myself is it's all just like do these things sooner like 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 transition sooner like do it although actually i did start transitioning around that time like a year or so after that but but like even in terms of like doing stand-up like the sooner you get started with it the sooner you start learning the point is i would tell my 18 year old self uh to pull up their bootstraps and (laughs) i would tell them i would tell them to uh start comedy earlier uh whether they want to whether they listen to me or not i don't know i i think i think comedy because it's one of those things that you can only get better at by doing it over a long period of time and learning from your mistakes like there's no cheat code you know like some some people like to do courses and things like that and that's fine i think i don't think there's like anything wrong with that but i do think that um ultimately you can only get better by just like doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and yeah the younger you start the the more of a leg up you have on that and um i'm doing fine but i would have loved to have started when i was 18 that would have been sick <laughs> lovely stuff okay excellent uh thank you very much for joining us jen um so um if people want to catch up with you and the things that you're doing um where should they look you up so you can follow me on twitter at jen ives comedian uh you can go on my website jenives.net um i have written a book that by the time this comes out you will probably be able to buy on my website jenives.net uh the book is called 12 better rules for life for men specifically uh it's like a parody of the jordan peterson book obviously um yeah that'll be out Uh, that's just like a self-published thing um and i've got a show called peak trans which hopefully by the time this comes out you'll be able to go and see somewhere but <laughs> i don't know where just just look on the website lovely stuff looking forward to it okay um thanks very much for that jen uh, that was a lovely chat and a lovely set uh thank you very much for your time i'll see you in a bit thank you bye, bye. thanks for having me
Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, if you want to catch a live show in London, look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash Quantum Leopard to sign up to the mailing list. Uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison, but from each according to their ability to each according to their need. So if you enjoyed our guests in your ears, but we'd like them in your eyes as well, uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard. We only charge when a new live show video comes out. If you enjoyed the show, why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials. Editing was by uh, Reese Lawton, who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties. Uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at I Am Rooks on the socials. That's Rooks with an E. Uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can share it as much as you like, but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live. Uh, kind love and see you soon. Bye. Oh, God, there's a dead ladybird on my... Sorry. <laughs> dead ladybird. <laughs> See, you're undercutting your own joke there, Jen, by caring about the dead ladybird.